in Philippians, we have this, as you heard from uh, Les last week, you have this amazing friendship letter written from Paul to his buddies. It's written to those that he considered to be his true partners in the gospel, as you have in, in uh, the fifth verse of Philippians 1. And it is filled with, um, as I said here, a community with the attitude of Christ Jesus. You just have this overwhelming sense of he is writing in love and in care to this community that he loves so much, and we get to, to kind of listen in on this and understand and be encouraged by what Paul wrote. So, I was away last week, but on the website, as I think we all know, you can always go and listen to a service that you missed. So, before I got on a very long flight this week, I listened to, went to the website, listened to Les's message, and then I took notes on his message, and I sort of summarized them here on one slide. Now, that slide may be hard to read, but I will just cover it for you briefly as a refresh on last week. And the key word that Les used last week was a word called, a word cruciform or cruciformity. Now, I had heard the word before, but when Les used it last week, I was thinking of it as like a Christian word, a word that we sort of just use in Christian circles, but that it really isn't a real word like that you could use in Scrabble. But I actually looked it up, and the word cruciform is a word you can use in Scrabble. And what it means is simply in the shape of a cross, when you actually look at what it means. And that is like so simple and yet so deep. And as we think about what Paul writes to us in Philippians, there is, he is really challenging us to live our lives in the shape of the cross and that we would be transformed by the cross so that we reflect the cross in terms of how we live. He is writing, as Les told us last week, to this community in Philippi. They were like an outpost of Rome. So they were a community far away from Rome, but when you were in the city of Philippi, their Caesar is Lord, and it was kind of like a mini Rome. Well, what you and I are called to be as a Christian community here at RBC is a mini heaven. We are called to be a community where Jesus is Lord and where we live that out in our interactions in our, as we do life together as a Christian community. So picture it like we are a little outpost of heaven and our job is to live that out. And as we do, we attract others to this community, to the community of believers we want to live our lives in such a way that others are attracted, that we can simply say to others, come and see. And as they come and experience Christian community, they are drawn into it. All right, so we had Christian community last week. We had cruciformity. And then I wanted to make them all C's, which Les didn't do. So I called it comfort and joy instead of just joy. But what we have 
in an amazing way in the, in the book of Philippians is 16 times over, Paul uses the word joy, and he's writing from a prison situation. So, you and I have no excuse. We have a God-given joy in our souls that comes from the Spirit of God working in us, and we are called to live out and to experience this joy. So, that was last week, and if you didn't get to hear it, um, go to the website and uh, listen to uh, Les's teaching on that. Now, today we're looking at the next part of this. We called it Paul's response in sort of our series that we're going through. It is Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. And I will read it for us now. Philippians 1, verses 12 to 26. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. <clears throat> well, I have sort of relabeled this, uh, and I have called this talk today Attitude and Perspective. Because what, and you probably noticed it as I just read it through, Paul's attitude comes through so clearly here. It's really in this passage, we get kind of his interpretation or what's going on in his head as the circumstances are unfolding. Now let me give you a, a general concept first here. I, in my work with Youth for Christ, before COVID, and now again, as COVID, we trust and hope is winding down, um, I extensively travel. Now, when you travel a lot, you have no idea what is going to happen. You start on a trip, and you just don't know, especially when you're going to a part of the world that you might have never been before. 
So you don't know if your plane is going to take off on time. You don't know if your, if your connection is going to work. You don't know when you get to the other end, will there really be people there to meet you? You don't know what environment you're going to be staying in. You don't know when they, I, as, as because I am the leader of this organization, uh, I often get asked to speak. Sometimes they forgot to tell me that they were going to ask me to speak. And so I really don't know. I start on a trip and I have no idea. What I have learned is, and it doesn't mean I remember this every day, but what I have learned is when something happens unexpectedly, that God is up to something. And so what used to stress me a lot, I now, most days, can approach it with curiosity. It's, so I end up in this suddenly like, okay, this just got canceled, or okay, this didn't happen, or nobody showed up here, or whatever. And I'm just kind of curious and go like, okay, Lord, so what's the plan? Because I know he has a plan, but it's been very interesting, and I think it has helped my blood pressure considerably <laughs> to actually see that and recognize that as I go along. Well, Paul has this amazing attitude. He is back in chains. Remember when he first went to Philippi? Do you remember back in Acts where he ended up? He ended up in chains. He ended up beaten, his feet in stocks, and like in jail. And to all of, from our circumstances standpoint, we would say totally miserable in a Roman prison. And instead, we find that Paul at midnight with his buddy Silas, they are singing praises to God. Right? So Paul kind of already had this figured out that his circumstances, God was up to something, and his job was to just trust him and praise him. And I know that that is easier said than done. One of my worst ones is when I'm in a middle seat on the plane. And I'm sitting there not hoping, and then two very, very, very large people come and sit on either side of you. Okay, that is my test of, okay, Lord, like, seriously? And that's, so God has all different tests for all different ones of us. But for, to have the attitude that says, yeah, God's up to something, and let's just see what it is. So let's look at this. Um, Zig Ziglar, uh, in a famous quote, says, your attitude, not your aptitude, will determine your altitude. And so as we look at what Paul's approach to life and how he sees what God is doing, it, we get this lesson for us in terms of how our attitude affects everything else. Now, when I say the word attitude, it's one of those words that has no positive or negative meaning in its definition. If you look up the word attitude, it doesn't, but most of us, um, if I was to look back at like Heidi back there that I haven't seen in like forever, and like Heidi, I'm so happy to see you and it's amazing that you are here, and your husband, but I, I'm just picking on you. So if we were to talk to the kids that are back, way back behind there, I wonder if ever you have heard your mom say to you, watch that attitude. Hmm. 
If you have, yes, okay, I'm getting a thumbs up. All right, so that has happened, yes. Okay, well, what is happening is we are using attitude in a negative connotation, right? It actually isn't. It's a, it's a, it's a neutral word, but we tend to use it in a, in a negative connotation. But here today, we actually want to look at it as a frame of mind, both positive and negative. So you can, in fact, with, you need a, an adjective in front of attitude to know, is this, in fact, a good or a bad, um, as you use the word. So we will look, we're looking now at Paul's attitude. So in the verses 12 to 14, we kind of see it starting to ooze out. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's in chains. And he's saying, this has actually happened to advance the gospel. As a result, and he starts to list them, it's become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You've got to picture this. You've got to picture the chains. You've got to picture the situation. And Paul describing it this way. The, his attitude was amazing. He is seeing these positive things, helping to spread the good news. If you, I've summarized it in the next slide. Help to spread the good news. Everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains, and because of my imprisonment, most of the believers have gained confidence. There's three. Boom, boom, boom. Paul says, that's God's plan. That's what God's up to while I'm in chains. Well, the Philippian Christians, they, they knew already that Paul was in prison. So they must have, somehow this must have been a change in his situation. Maybe he was moving from that hired house to jail itself to be closer to the trial. But somehow this, the circumstances were, uh, he was interpreting them and seeing them as God up to something and it wasn't about him. He doesn't diminish it. He talks about being in chains, but his focus is not on himself, but on the furtherance of the gospel. I have seen this. I've shared from this pulpit before that in my work with Youth for Christ, I get to hang out with some people that love and follow Jesus in all different parts of the world. And sometimes when I travel, I find myself in amazing prayer meetings. I will be shown a picture of someone or there'll be a, a description of someone that is in very dire situation. We have someone right now that has been banished to Siberia for 15 years for preaching the gospel. And we've got other people that are in, in very, very difficult situations in, uh, in some of the other nations where it is uh, risky to preach the gospel. But when you go to a prayer time with these folks, what is so amazing is they're not praying for deliverance. They're not even praying. Like, like what? It seems so weird when you go there because instead of them praying that this guy will get out or that this lady will, you know, escape, they're praying all this stuff that Paul talks about. They're praying that they'll have boldness. They're praying that they'll have courage. They're praying that God will use it to advance the gospel. And you know as you do, that, like as you're sitting there, you know, yeah, that's biblical. And yes, that's, you just feel very like, 
Man, that's sure not what I would be praying if I was in that situation. So there are um, lots of us, brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, that literally are laying down their lives for the gospel. And this is so real. They really do pray this way. And I have seen the Spirit of God in these situations embolden. He gives a courage that is amazing. And so for you and I, brothers and sisters, we need to also pray that God will give us courage to speak for him, to stand for him, and to be the light that God has called us to be here in our world. In 1 Peter 3, think about Peter, the Apostle Peter. Remember him when the maid came and challenged him before Christ died? And Peter denied that he even knew the Lord with oaths and curses? You remember that? That day he lacked courage. But it's Peter that writes and says, Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. It takes wisdom, but we need courage. If any of you want to actually read an excellent uh, booklet that is a help on this, um, and this is a plug for a friend of mine, I must say, though... uh, he is like up here and uh, whatever, and I'm like, but he considers me his friend, so I, I can say that. His name is John Lennox, and he has written a great little book called Have No Fear. Um, and it is an amazing uh, help in terms of this area of you and I just having boldness and courage to, uh, to stand, for, stand for the Lord in wherever it is. Now... Sometimes we, let's just, in a family situation, I think we have had this um, thing that, how do I express this? Where attitude, when you're parents and you're raising kids, you can think you're doing an amazing thing with your kids, and then... Attitude changes everything, sometimes for the good, sometimes not. So years ago, Katie and I came up with this brilliant idea that we were going to take our kids to uh, the various canyons out around the Grand Canyon. And here's a funny thing. We planned this whole trip. The next slide just shows you a picture of the, the Grand Canyon there and the trail that we took them on. Now, that trail has no... Uh, no railing along the side. You zigzag back and forth down, down the Grand Canyon. And so we thought this was a really cool thing to do as a family. And we took our three uh, adopted children, Jane, Matthew, and Robin, and we took them on this holiday. We actually took two duffel bags each. One had camping equipment in it, and the other had uh, clothing in it. And we flew to Las Vegas. We rented a van in Las Vegas. And... Uh, we, um, Katie played some to get money for the rest of the trip. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we, 
we left the Grand Canyon, I mean, we left Las Vegas very quickly, and we went off on this trip to see the various canyons, that there's sort of a whole circle that you can do. Now, the kids complained the whole trip. So Katie and I remember, like, we had planned this thing, we thought it was great, okay, it was too hot. Uh, Matthew, I remember, was wearing a pair of boots, cowboy boots he thought were really cool, that he had got at some uh, uh, dollar store or something, and uh, they were horrible, and he was like in pain constantly, but he wanted the image of being in cowboy boots. So the whole trip was like, whatever, okay, as parents. Now that the kids are all adults, they reminisce about that trip as if it was marvelous. And it was just this wonderful memories that they have. And Katie and I listen to them and go, like, no, okay, your attitude was horrible the whole trip. But anyway, attitude makes or breaks things in our lives. And by Paul having this great attitude towards things, it changes, of course, perspective and everything. Now, it doesn't mean that you're out of touch with reality. Sometimes when you see somebody with a great attitude and you're not feeling so great, you think they're just like out of touch. They just don't understand what's really going on. And we like to say that because it helps us feel better about our bad attitude. But let's look at the next verses. Paul says in verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I love that, that tag on there. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So, Paul knows what is going on. Notice, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. You can picture some Christians listening to his amazing attitude and saying, doesn't he know? Like, doesn't he know? some people are preaching just to make it worse for him in prison. He's blissfully unaware. And Paul says to us, no, I'm aware. I know. I know what's really happening. It's a choice that I have made in terms of how I will see things. And his focus was on the gospel. So as he says in this most remarkable verse, whether in pretense or in truth, whether out of selfish ambition or not sincerely, it says here, Christ is preached and because of that, I'm good. I'm happy. Wow. Christ is preached, so Paul is good. Can you imagine how that would change us if we really could say that. Just, just try that on for a minute. Christ is preached, so I'm good. That's pretty simple. It's pretty basic. But wow, that is clarifying. And he says... Because of this, I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. Brothers and sisters, you and I don't know what's around the next corner. We don't know what God is going to allow in our lives as he molds and shapes us into his image. But this is a declaration that you and I can also make. 
we can choose to rejoice and to proclaim that we will continue to rejoice. We have the right to do that. We are the children of God. Now, let's look at verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I suggest this is kind of the last verse on attitude, and then he changes over to perspective. So let me just read this 20th verse again. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. His attitude is amazing. It is all about Christ being exalted, not about him. So let's be careful also that we don't allow petty jealousies, things that bother us about others, things that we're thinking maybe somebody is doing, whatever, those kind of things that can get in and can wreak havoc in the body of Christ. We are a community of believers. We love each other. But Paul still had to write and say, I beseech you and Synthache to be of the same mind in the Lord. Paul writes in many of his writings about challenges and problems within the body of Christ. You and I need to overlook those things and rather be assuming the best and knowing that Christ is being exalted. I would also point out here that Christianity is not a spectator sport. It is in the throes, it is in the working these things out together that we grow and that we can have these kind of attitudes rub off on each other. So I want to do a brief test with you today, just for one moment. When you refer to your brothers and sisters at RBC, do you refer to them as them or us? You see, I've observed something. Um, I sit on the board of directors of various companies, and I've also watched this with staff, new staff starting at a company. They, let's take the example of staff. When they first start, they, refer, they talk about the people in the company as them. And it's very interesting. You see it, you, you hear it in the first few weeks of their employment. Them, them, them. At some point along the way, if they really feel accepted and really start to become part of the company, then they start referring to the rest of the folks as us. And I see the same thing on boards. It's fascinating. If any of you have sat on boards, even hear your own language as you do it. Do you refer to them or do you refer to us? Brothers and sisters, it's us. It's not them. We, you know, we don't have any consultants. We're, we're, all, we're all part of. It's not them. We are all in this together. 
And this attitude can rub off on each other in a really positive way. So I say to you, be all in and have this attitude that Paul exudes here. Be happy because Christ is exalted. Be happy because the word of God is preached. Don't be unhappy because the music is to this or the preaching is to that or the temperature in the building is too cold. Um, just that Christ is preached and we rejoice together. Okay, now, we shift here in verse 21, and it says, he says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Natalie referred to that this morning. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for you. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and that I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through me being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Can you and I say as we hang out with us that on account of me being with you, that your boasting, that your that your expression of Christ will grow. Paul had that confidence. It's a very interesting thing to ask ourselves. As I come to church today, as a result of me being here today, will others around me that I mixed with, will they be wanting to exalt Christ more because they hung out with me? Isn't that interesting? Paul had that confidence. And it's a, it's a good word for us. But let's think now about perspective because this is where he changed. So what is perspective? Well, I looked it up, being, being, having just visited Oxford. I figured I'd use the Oxford definition, right? I should do that. So here's what it says. And, and think about this from an artist's standpoint. Uh, I was never able to do this, by the way, in art class. But the, in perspective, the art of drawing solid objects on a two-dimensional surface, if we can go to the next slide, I think I've got it there. There we go. The um, art of drawing solid objects on a two-dimensional surface so as to give the right impression of their height, width, depth, and position in relation to each other when viewed from a particular point. A perspective drawing. So think about perspective that way, as seeing things in the right way, with the right depth, with the right vision. A particular attitude is the second definition, towards or way of regarding something, a point of view. The example... Most guidebook history is written from the editor's perspective. So perspective is fascinating when it comes to the Christian journey. Perspective, being able to see things clearly. I was reviewing this with a few of the brothers yesterday morning, and uh, Dr. Dawson talked about it as two different pairs of glasses. When some of you that are younger may not relate to this, but we, those of us that are older need sometimes reading glasses to be able to see things up close. If you see an old guy up here like Steve McCarg, he will need those reading glasses. And then it may happen to me one day too, it hasn't yet. Then there's those, those that need to drive, and in order to drive, we again need to have glasses, but they're two different things. So this perspective, this being able to see things clearly, is really important, and we're, we're used to that in life. But 
Paul here writes and he gives us now why or how he can have such a positive attitude. We've seen all the positive attitude. Now he gives us the, the, the answer to the riddle. This is why he can have such a positive attitude. Because he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's how. Because he knows that what's ahead for him is so awesome and amazing that this life, where he is now, it's simply about exalting Christ. Someone has said, I forget the author, shout it out if you remember. He speaks, I think it's Francis Chan, that speaks about our lives being like a dot on a line, eternity. And it's like, but from a perspective standpoint to remember that as the scripture clearly teaches us, the moment we die, we find ourselves, those that know and love Jesus, we find ourselves in the presence of the Lord Jesus at the moment. That's the truth of the word of God. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said to the thief on the cross? He said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. You and I, brothers and sisters, who know Christ as Savior, our future is absolutely secure. There's no mystery. We go now, like the, the moment we leave this world, we are in the presence of the Lord Jesus. We differ as Christians sometimes. I've got it all straight, but some of the rest of them you know, are messed up on it. But as to like, okay, what will happen first in the right order of things and what the Jerusalem and... But what we do know is, and we're all in agreement on this, we are going to be consciously in the presence of the Lord Jesus the moment we leave this world. Now, when you're 95... That can cause problems. Katie's mom is 95, and she knows the absolute truth of this verse. So when you're 95, and you just broke a hip, and these crazy doctors want to actually put you back together and extend your life, how do you feel? I want to go and be with Christ. It's far better. Why are you fixing me up again for me to stay here longer? But brothers and sisters, those of us also know, as Paul did, and this is what gives us this amazing perspective, he knows that there's a reason why he is still here. Yes, to go and be with Christ is far better, but why does God have you here? He has you here for a specific reason. He says, Paul says here, it is more necessary that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy. You are here, brother and sister in Christ, so that others can progress in their knowledge and their joy in Christ Jesus. That's why. I know God's purpose for your life. That's pretty bold, isn't it? I don't know the details. But what I do know is, God has you here for a specific purpose, and it is so that the gospel can go out, so that others can be pointed to Christ and so that those that know and love Jesus can be emboldened, can be encouraged in their faith. You, brother and sister, have a purpose for being here. Yes, the future is better. I don't argue with it. The future is better. Remember, Paul's writing this, and he's in chains. So you say, yeah, Dave, you don't understand my circumstance. I sort of go, you're, you're right, you're absolutely right, but 
I think I can say this with some credibility because look at the situation the Apostle Paul is in, and he's the one writing this. So, you and I, it's about attitude and perspective. Attitude makes all the difference in terms of how we see every circumstance. And how do we come up with that attitude? It's not by listening to some promotional speaker or some motivational speaker. It's not by, you know, getting pumped every morning when you get out of bed. No. It's about having a perspective that is so clear to us from the Word of God. When we understand that our future is secure, it is all about departing and being with Christ, which is far better, and yet that we have a purpose for being here, which is to honor and exalt Christ, then, brothers and sisters, you and I have every reason to have a positive attitude. For any of you here that don't know Jesus as Savior, I would love to see you become a part of the family. I would welcome you into the family. It is an amazing thing to be adopted into God's family, to have the right and the privilege for all of this that we have talked about this morning. So, if you don't know Jesus yet, accept him today as your Savior. Surrender to him. There's no negotiated surrenders with Jesus. It's a 100%. He is Lord. When you surrender to him, all this blessing opens up to you. I will finish with a prayer. And as I close in prayer, I simply will read from earlier in Philippians 1. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God bless you all. Have a great week.